まもなくピクセルオブブレックファストに止まります。Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Breakfast Pod, your weekly dose of gaming news. It is Thursday, July 8th, and I'm your host, Steve, joined as always by my developer co host, Blue. How you doing, mate? I have totally kept a normal sleep schedule in a week of speedruns. Yeah, something about games being done semi quickly or something.、Uh, <laughs> in the summertime, games are done fast, maybe? Yeah. Oh,、uh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's super fun. Summer Games Done Quick is on at the moment, just for everyone who didn't catch what we mean by that. And that is a、um, charity speedrunning event that lasts for a week, raising money for、uh, Medicine Sans Frontieres, Doctors Without Borders. So, so, Blue is basically watching very fun video game stuff that supports charity. And I've been curled up on the couch watching the worst of the worst reality TV, The Circle on Netflix. Anyway, we're going to move on and talk about video game news. And、uh, we're going to kick things off with something that dropped today, actually. Assassin's Creed Infinity is a live service platform that is going to be connecting the future games of the franchise.、Uh, this information was first、uh, leaked or, or reported on by the folks over at Bloomberg. Jason Schreier, I think, was the one who did this. Correct. And、uh, there's actually been an update since then that Ubisoft has commented,、uh, which we'll get to in a minute. But the story、uh, named Assassin's Creed Infinity is being developed by both Ubisoft Montreal, who handled Assassin's Creed Unity, Origins, and Valhalla, and Ubisoft Quebec, which handled、uh, Assassin's Creed Syndicate and Odyssey. Basically, they've been working on a、uh, you work on this game this time, we work on the next one sort of、uh, release phase there.、Uh, Quebec will lead the development,、uh, which will be a change of the franchise because Montreal has kind of been、uh, in charge of that for a very long time. And basically, yeah, it's going to be a live service model that connects the future games. We don't exactly know what that means, but as part of the story, there are three managers who were、uh, caught up in the、uh, harassment scandals over at Ubisoft that have remained.、Uh, they've remained as part of the team. I don't think they name. Not they in this report.、Here. Not in this report. But I believe、yeah. that those names are、uh, public knowledge. Yeah. Uh, there has been a response from a Ubisoft spokesperson that said any employee that had allegations and remain at Ubisoft has had their case rigorously reviewed by a third party and were either exonerated or underwent appropriate disciplinary action.、Uh, and employees who have been under investigation would not remain at Ubisoft if results of investigations warranted termination. Uh, and since then, Ubisoft has come out and confirmed that Assassin's Creed Infinity is, uh, Is, is a thing? real thing.、Yep. They, they dropped a blog post which、uh, mentions the two teams will be led by two creative directors, Clint Hocking, who、uh, worked on Splinter Cell and Watch Dogs Legion, probably most famously known as the writer and creative director of Far Cry 2, however. He's going to be leading、uh, Ubisoft Montreal.、Mm-hmm. While Jonathan Dumont, a veteran of Assassin's Creed Syndicate and Odyssey, will be leading、uh, the Quebec team.、Uh, and the Infinity Project will include games made by both of the teams. Uh, who, which will be led by Marc Alexis Cote, who will serve as executive producer on the entire franchise.、Uh, he worked on Brotherhood before becoming the director on Syndicate, and is one of the most senior staff at Quebec.、Uh, I mean, this is interesting. I think it kind of makes a lot of sense considering how formulaic those games are, that there's like a central product that connects different time periods together. Yeah.、Uh, I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing、uh, for the franchise. Um, I think it depends on what it's an interesting basing it on. If they base it on Hitman, yeah, yeah it's fantastic. It makes sense. But if yeah, they're like, basing it off of an MMO, get... then it's like, yeah, <laughs> don't, don't make this an MMO, right? Like, that'd be weird. Yeah. Like, this could be very cool if it's a bunch of different locations and time periods that are much shorter games, but are being released more frequently. Like, say, you're getting two a year, even.、Mm. Uh, but they're smaller and more contained because I think that's been the biggest problem with the Assassin's Creed franchise.、Uh, you know, it's finally got to a space where I, I don't particularly like Assassin's Creed at all. But since Odyssey,、uh, wait, Odyssey? Origins was the、uh, Egypt mm, one, the right? The Egypt one, correct. Since they changed that formula one, I'm like, I actually really like these games, but they're 6,000 years long.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, like the, the prospect of maybe shorter, tighter、uh, games that have more interesting things in them. Uh, could be good, but you know, we, we honestly don't know how they're going to handle this. We do know that Ubisoft is gearing up to do more 
live service and free to play games. This is obviously a bigger swing than we were perhaps anticipating from that story we reported mm. on a few few weeks ago. But uh, yeah, interesting. I mean, I think one of the weakest parts of it is when you're just kind of traveling the countryside. Don't get me wrong; they make pretty games. Nothing's wrong with the game world, but nothing really interesting happens there anyway. If you could just give us the city and like, yeah, here's your target. You know, again, Hitman style, right? I think that makes sense. Man, I, I would love know. to see the Hitman devs do a historically time traveled, be weird assassin cool. game. Yeah, that would be super cool. I'm a bit lukewarm on this just because I don't care too much about the franchise, but I think that this is an interesting direction to take it. At least the franchise is changing, right? At least we are actually seeing an evolution in the formula. It's not just the same football game every year. Not naming names here. Yeah, and I mean, that's been, you know, one of their biggest sins that they have overcome recently by, hey, let's not release an Assassin's Creed game every Every year. year, And that really did help the franchise and they really did try to shake things up. Uh, But yeah, kind of like you, like I don't really have a huge affinity for the franchise, so I'm not super worried. And I think, well, hey, uh, as you said, at least they're trying something new Mm. and that should lead to hopefully some big wins, maybe some losses in the transitional period. But, you know, Ubisoft have proven themselves to be a successful live services company with, you know, Rainbow Six Siege is like one of the the darling stories of that up there with like Final Fantasy 14, right? Yeah. Um, So... You know, even For Honor, has it's still sticking around releasing new content. Mm. All the stuff they did with Division. I, I think it's a it's a space that they're comfortable in and they've proven themselves in. So I think it may be rocky at the start, but greener pastures are on the horizon. Speaking of greener pastures, though, remember Codemasters? How EA was buying them out? I believe Microsoft was then buying them out, but then EA swooped in at the final moment. Well, the CEOs uh, and the CFO... Uh, of the company have left <laughs> as soon as the acquisition was finalized, basically. Um, that sounds really so bad see, at the at the onset of it, but I do believe the follow-up line where they say the, the departure's always been part of the plan. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I take this as a I mean, sign of good if, news. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if these people were around when it uh, was founded or how long they've been at the company, but it makes sense. Get a nice big payout and leave as a new company takes over. It's a good moving on point. Yeah, one, what CEOs and CFOs typically do. And EA wouldn't let them move um, until it's stable, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. So I think it's an exciting time for, uh, you know, Codemasters is a long-storied uh, company in the games industry. I mean, they made Micro Machines. That's all you need to know. I've always got a lot of love for Codemasters. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense for EA who have had periods of their careers where they've been releasing, you know, uh, storied racing franchises and, you know, developing really great teams like Criterion who specialize in that stuff. Uh, You know, Need for Speed has certainly dropped off in quality and quantity over the last decade. Uh, Mm. It makes sense to acquire a, a company that has just, dominated the driving sim space and and walking that line of hyper realism meets arcade in a, a really exciting fun way and they have the f1 franchise which you know makes sense with ea who typically do go after those franchise deals so f1's uh, in an interesting spot as well this year yeah i think, I think they're canceled Ooh, yeah. again they canceled melbourne again yeah, yeah. So that's the second year in a row now yeah um, rough but yeah, interesting. I don't really have much to say. It's just, you know, it makes sense. Take the money. Don't work for EA. That's kind of what everyone in the industry wants, right? So um, moving on, the folks over at Spiders, the French team who made Greedfall, which was like a bit of a big hit, mm. they have just shown the first gameplay of their new game that's coming out called Steel Rising. Uh, oh, one word. <laughs> it's so... that. I don't know why that yeah, gets to me, but that gets to me. One word. All one word. Yeah. Very weird. Yeah. Um, so Spiders have been this kind of studio that's been on the fringe of success for a long time. Like they make big, ambitious RPGs, old school style, like the original Mass Effect games. Yeah. Um, they've always been a bit janky uh, and they had a big breakthrough with Greedfall, which did have some jank, but it was super interesting. And I really want to play more of it now that that uh, next gen version's out. But yeah, Steel Rising is a, a new game. It takes place in the 18th century in Paris, where you play as one of Marie 
Antoinette's automation bodyguards. It's very steampunk. Automaton. Well, I guess it's not steampunk, but yeah, automaton of the era. Um, and it's got flashy third-person combat. I'm just going to read the quote here for what's happening in the trailer. Do check it out. It's a pretty cool trailer. Uh, Aegis was originally made to be a dancer and wasn't initially designed for combat. Considering each opponent you face is a literal killing machine, defeating them won't be easy. You'll have to make good use of your inherent grace, think fast, stay on your toes, and strike at the right moment to come out in one piece. Uh, So apparently the combat's going to feel reminiscent of a Souls-like. I uh, disagree. The players will be able to adapt. Yeah, I disagree too. I feel like like that's a marketing thing you have to say. Yeah, this is one of those things where marketing has to do certain things and has to hit certain notes. Don't, don't, it's not, this does not look like a Souls-like. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. Absolutely. But I'm, that's from the perspective of I don't consider Neo a Souls like either, and IOH. Um, and yeah. if you, yeah, like you, I can see the similarities. But like, if you if you like Souls games and you play these games and you're like, oh, why does it feel? Why am I not getting what I signed on for? This would be one of those reasons. Like, it's just a marketing term that people throw around, and not a lot of people really think about what it means. Um, the combat that's being shown off in this gameplay trailer is not that. Just as a like warning. Um, yeah, oh, I, I assume exactly what they mean here is you have big chunky enemies yeah. that have animations, and you have iframes when you dodge. Too. Yeah, but that's yeah. not but actually the core of what a Souls like yeah. is. And um, fans, fans of Souls likes will be a bit disappointed when they come into that. So, well, uh now we're getting into some contention here because uh, I feel like the term Souls like definitely just means the. Uh, heavy telegraphed animated combat and you can die easily. It doesn't mean any of the other stuff around it. The other aspect that it means is you have a bonfire and enemies respawn. Uh, Much like roguelike doesn't really have anything anymore in relation to rogue, right? Except that you have permadeath and sometimes you, uh, and it's randomized. Like that's all that is required to be a roguelike. And I feel like souls like all that is required is it has telegraph combat and, optionally a bonfire system so the Uh, technically interesting thing here is what mm. genre um, genre is used to help people like generalize um games Mm -hmm. and functions within games so that we get an idea of what what a game will offer before we start to play it i really take offense to souls like because it doesn't actually capture what a lot of souls fans um know about their game it's it's a bit superficial right like one of the big failings of a lot of like copycat souls likes is um, actually the really, really important and like skillful thing that FromSoft does in their particular games is level design. And that won't be replicated easily um, by most of the copycats that I've seen, especially. Um, but I'll let mm-hmm. that one slide, right? Like that's not the big deal. Yeah, the bonfire stuff is much more of a crucial thing of like respawning enemies. But again, you're missing the crucial point. It's not about the respawning enemies. It's about how much of your resources you lose if you actually properly die. That also isn't the same kind of thing. And when you take these two things away, that's actually what makes uh, the FromSoft version of Souls-like so harsh because there isn't much mm-hmm. forgiveness in that space. While um, Whereas you know the, the level design allows them to be quite punishing because once you once they're so good with it, with the level design and the and the enemy placement, that once you understand what to do, you can like try something again very quickly. That's my issue. So uh, pretenders to this genre won't hit those notes strongly in the beginning, and so this genre name is therefore being misused by marketing because you're not actually gonna like this game is this game looks amazing and will have an, a great appeal. Steel Rising is going to be really good, but throwing a, a term like this in there. Um, may not help you capture the audience you want. So maybe someone who would love this game sees the term Souls like and goes, eh, I'm not really a fan of that. And like, it's just doing everyone a, uh, a misjust- um, an injustice here, you know? Yeah, I mean, I know that gets into a big philosophical argument about who owns its term Souls like and, and the marketing yeah. speak behind it and what fans actually say because plenty of fans also misuse the term. Um, but let's not get into that. Let's, no. Yeah, let's not get into that. I think here what they mean literally is it's big chunky enemies if you're going to play yep. that way. But because they specifically follow that up with flexible leveling system and a wide variety of yeah. weapons, each with their unique strengths and weaknesses. Uh, so, but regardless, anyway, uh, that's a nice little divergence. I like that. <laughs> um, 
I still hate Metroidvania. It is the worst term. Anyway, still rising. Looks pretty cool. Uh, go check that out. It's go look at the, the first cinematic trailer. I only saw that one today, right? That gives me mm. so much cyberpunk vibes, especially with the fact that they're using automatons. You remember the first yeah, yeah, cyberpunk yeah. trailer from like 2013? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where it's just like music and then like um, panning shots of this beautifully rendered scene. Um, pretty neat. I like the homage. Yeah. Speaking of pretty neat, a new Nintendo Switch was revealed <laughs> and it was not the pro that everyone wanted. Yeah, well, this is basically, was, that's pretty The neat. pro never existed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, we, we reported and everyone on the internet has been saying for an infinity amount of time, it feels like that a Switch Pro Since is like in the works October and it's happening. last year was when the confirmations came, the quote unquote confirmations came through, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nintendo did announce a new console after E3, and it is the Switch, Nintendo Switch OLED, which is keeping up with Nintendo's tradition of having terrible names for their consoles. Uh, it'll be released on the 8th of October alongside Metroid Dread, and uh, it's basically the exact same Switch with some minor upgrades. Uh, it is 7 inches, has a 7-inch OLED screen instead of 6.2 on the standard uh, Switch right now. Comes with 64 gig of internal memory, uh, which the standard just has 32. And it has a uh, wide stand. So you know how the Switch has that terrible kickstand? This is basically like a uh, Microsoft Surface stand where the whole thing sort of kicks out for you, um, which is super nice to see. Uh, And it also has improved speakers, apparently. New dock that features a wired LAN port. Uh, it's going to be coming in the neon red and blue, or it will also be available in a sort of white, off-white, silverish color. Uh, it's going to be launching for $350 in the US. Um, and it's still uh, 720p undocked and still 1080p docked. Uh, basically, it has no extra horsepower. It's just a nicer OLED screen. And a lot of people are not happy about that. Yeah. And it's kind of funny. I was going to ask. Internet just melt down. <laughs> I was going to ask you what your, like, your own, like, circle of people were like. But everyone that I have followed have been ranging from meh to wow. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm happy because it means I'm not going to go out and buy a new Switch. Because <laughs> I'm just not going to do that for this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I personally do think that there is some sort of Switch Pro nebulously hanging out um, because the only reason I say that is developers have been asked to get their games 4k ready Um, whether that was the original plan and then the pandemic hit and you know there are multiple reasons of why that wouldn't have happened if you know we're going to go down the road of there still is a pro console in the works Um, but you know like I'm not super mad that they didn't announce it because do we need that right now probably not Probably not, um, right? Um, the Switch is still selling gangbusters. Yeah. Conspiracy theories that I've seen, I use the term very loosely here, are that um, <laughs> the pandemic has really, like the pandemic has hit all electronics manufacturing by quite significantly. And um, a lot of people are reckoning that what has happened is um, Nintendo is getting gearing up for the holiday period at the end of the year, realizing that they cannot actually keep up production of the Switch. Um, possibly, if there is a pro, realizing that it's not ready to launch. Um, based on other various other reasons and that this is just a way to swap out some key components without actually promising an increase in hardware in order to um, smooth along production and like keep numbers in a reasonable like state right because this isn't actually being priced much higher than the um, base switch Um, it is more expensive but but not by a like significant margin um uh, retail, at least. I don't. I don't have the numbers in front of me, though. I, I. I just remember that being the case. I think it's like a fifty dollar difference at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it. It doesn't surprise me that this is here. Uh, it wouldn't no. surprise me if there is a pro, you know, in twelve months from now. Yep. Um, there are so many reasons why that. Uh, that plan may have been paused. Mm-hmm. Um, for all sorts of reasons, and uh, or it could just be not true. As I said, yep. the only reason that I think there is some truth to it is that. Enough people with spec have been saying it as well. Uh, And also, um, the other side of the people that I follow who have commented on this um, have linked to um, people who've paid attention to cycles, um, basically Nintendo historians, and have just said, 
yeah, this is actually is very standard when you compare it to every other handheld lifecycle that they've had. They've always had a not quite upgrade side grade thing. Um, the 3DS would be like the big one, right? Like 3DS XL for 3DS. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. thing that they do. Um, so there are definitely people like angry because they were hoping for the pro, and I'm like, chill out, chill out. <laughs> you have the best approach yeah. of like this means I don't have to spend money. That's it. Like. Yeah, don't go out there thinking that you should get this to replace your base switch. That's it. We've already seen them do this so many times, right, where they release, like, a new 3DS that literally two games utilize. Yeah. And they don't want to alienate any of their fan base. So even if you got that Switch Pro, you're not going to get any good use out of it. Because Nintendo are not Microsoft. They're not at a space where they can offer different SKUs of games that just scale, Mm. like the Xbox does, right? Um, And certainly the Switch isn't. It'd be great to... Yeah, it'd be great to see the Switch, a digital-only Switch that goes to that space, and it's just like, we're just going to release a new Switch every four years. Like, I would jump on that I would jump on that train hard, but, you know, that's just never going to happen. Mm. Um, uh, you know what? Like, there is one room that they can still improve this that they may not just not have announced. They, maybe they'll ship better Joy-Cons now. Or maybe, <laughs> they'll, or maybe they'll update the firmware because it's all software, the Dead Zone Drift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, they did also say that all existing peripherals will work with this mm. new hardware. So that's a good thing because Nintendo haven't always been the best about that stuff in the past. Yeah. Um, speaking of not being the best, Apex Legends was hacked on the weekend. <laughs> this uh, is a fun story. Yeah, it's so uh, basically Apex Legends was hacked by a Titanfall 1 fan. To hack, uh, to bring attention to all of the hackers that are making Titanfall One unplayable on PC. Uh, so apparently, when you would log into uh, the Apex Legends uh, PC client, instead of the usual playlist, you get the URL SaveTitanfall.com with the subheader Titanfall One is being attacked. So is Apex. I think this uh, is really funny. Yeah, so players are getting an important message at the end of every match that requests players to visit and repost SaveTitanfall.com website that's been online since March 2021. At least. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty funny. Uh, the, the quotes here, Titanfall is a beloved franchise by many and hacker issues have been at rise. Uh, the Titanfall community has been begging Respawn to fix this issue for over three years, but to no avail. Today this game is bi- still being sold while being completely unplayable. It's time we speak up. Titanfall 1 is currently unplayable on PC due to the hackers using exploits that prevent players from being able to play the game. This issue has been happening for years and Respawn is unwilling, is willingly pretending that they do not know about the situation. To this day, Titanfall 1 is still on sale on Origin and more recently on Steam, even though it's unplayable. Respawn and the developers have been contacted about this matter numerous times in many ways, even when the developers have been directly contacted. As soon as the topic of the Titanfall 1 problem is brought up, they stop replying. Electronic Arts, the parent company of Respawn and publisher of Titanfall 1, are aware of the issue, with countless reports to their client support and forums over the years. Uh, so that happened, and uh, nothing has come from it, basically. <laughs> um, I, I find so, this really yeah. funny. because So, to be clear, uh, as far as I can tell, there has been no malicious um, uh, damage to Apex itself. This is a, a, like, a peaceful protest kind of hacked thing just to make people more aware. Is that, am I reading that correctly? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can get behind that. I think that's cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a bit, I don't think it's respawn's fault that the game's still being sold. No, I don't think so. I think, I think that's EA uh, like through and through, right? Like, yeah. And also it's a game that is quite old now. Like it, it is. Was, yeah. Yeah, pretty old. As I was reading the article, I really thought they were talking about Titanfall 2's multiplayer being in dire mm. straits. And then I got halfway through and I realized, no, they're actually talking about Titanfall 1. Um, and, and honestly, it just goes to show how good of a game that was even back, even now, right? Like, no, nothing yeah. is like yeah. it. Like, nothing is like the Titanfall formula across both 1 and 2. The, the multiplayer is a lot closer than, um, than it isn't um across those two games and it, it's such a unique feel not that i like personally played it but i even just looking at it you can tell what what a mm. really really cool um multiplayer experience this game is so it's a shame that um it's under fire from that. 
Jumping over to Xbox, and it does look like Daddy Phil is doing a deal with Kojima. Uh, this re- yeah, been... I thought you were going to say Daddy Kojima, yeah. and I was very uncomfortable, but I think Daddy <laughs> Phil is probably fine, and that makes me question why. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this has been floating around for like quite some time that, you know, we know that Xbox or Microsoft is really trying to get into the Japanese market. And then there have been rumors that they've been courting uh, Hideo Kojima. For those of you who may not know, he's the uh, creative director behind Death Stranding and the Metal Gear Solid games, among a few others that no one's ever really played. Um, Anyway, it it turns out that those talks are very real because as reported by VentureBeat this week, uh, they're up to the step where they're signing a letter of intent, uh, which, you know, allows the development work to continue between uh, Phil Spencer at Xbox and Kojima, uh, you know, keep working on their things on all their projects that already got in the, in the works, which we do know death stranding director's cut is coming to PlayStation. Uh, Basically uh, what this means is a letter of intent is like, Hey, we're going to work together. Let's sign the contract to say that this is going to happen while our lawyers hash out the details and do all the background checks and, and the business stuff and being in Japan, like doing business with international companies is a lot more stringent than other countries in the world. So basically like it still could fall apart, but a letter of intent is as good as like a pre-contract essentially. Mm. It's it's the contract that we're going to give you a contract as long as things look good. Mm. Um, so yeah, at least even if nothing comes, we know that Microsoft is pushing very aggressively because Kojima ain't going to be cheap. Uh, given all the bullshit that Death Stranding got at its launch, it still sold incredibly well. Well enough that Sony's willing to invest and and support a director's cut of it uh, just a year or two later. Um, so you know, it's he's he's a hot commodity. He's one of the biggest people in games, whether you love or hate him. Um, and yeah, it'd be interesting to see uh, a Microsoft exclusive from someone who spent most of their career working uh, exclusively on on PlayStation. So. Um, this one, not a huge amount to say about this one, but, uh, Star Wars, the old Republic, the, uh, free to play MMO from Bioware has just released, uh, a new expansion. I thought this game was just long gone for a long time. Uh, it's been like almost 10 years now since the game came out. Uh, but they announced a new expansion. That's a mixture of story content, player rewards, and new gameplay features. Uh, and it is called legacy of the Sith. So it's pretty cool. They've updated like the new, they've updated user interfaces and character creation. There's new storylines, which has got new planets and stuff to explore. And that was the one part of uh, the old Republic that I really enjoyed. The story was really solid. Like it wasn't the most amazing story, but it's a Bioware you know, story. it was pretty, yeah, it was a Bioware story. It was good fun. And it was an MMO that had every line. I'm pretty sure it was every line was voice acted. If not every, a huge majority of it. Um, Almost to know, a detriment, that doesn't happen right? in MMOs. Because, like, a lot of people yeah. said it felt like a single-player experience that sometimes you go online with at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be arriving uh, this Christmas and will be free for all players. Um, so that's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah, it might be enough to pull me back in to check out that game again and start a new character. It could be, it could be a lot of fun. Mm. Um. And the last bit of news that we're going to touch on here, which this is, uh, we're recording this in the PlayStation state of affairs or whatever the hell they call their thing, state of play, I think, um, hasn't happened, but it is happening today mm-hmm. uh, at some point. But uh, Ghost of Tsushima Director's Cut is official and it's out in August on PS4 and PS5. Uh, basically, this Director's Cut, so there's a lot of vitriol around this because they're charging people for it because for some reason that's not allowed. Um, but it's going to be featuring all the content from the original release alongside a new chapter in Jin's story, which will see him travel to a new island called Iki. Um, it's going to be a whole new story that's going to take place. Uh, and uh, it's got new characters, new armor, new enemies, um, new pets, new mini games, new techniques to learn and trophies and all that. So it's like a full-on expansion, basically. Yeah. Uh, you will be able to pay a small fee to upgrade your version of the game if you already own the base game. And then you can also upgrade to the PS5 version, uh, which has, you know, 
better frame rate and all that good stuff. People seem to be unhappy that they're like charging for this, which I don't really get. Um, because if you bought the base game, you're basically paying DLC prices. Potentially right? less if you think of it as an expansion, because you're playing DLC prices, as you said, right? Like DLC specifically. And this, yeah, this does sound like a big thing. Um, yeah, like even yeah. if it's a smaller island, like if you're cramming like ten hours of gameplay, which I could easily see in this because of all the like like mini games and quests and stuff that you have, right? Yeah. Um, it's like it's uh, gonna cost twenty bucks US to upgrade. Which is in line with a DLC cost. Yeah. So, you know, assuming that that is like, to me, that adds up. And I feel like people are just getting mad because they want to get mad. Uh, and yeah. to upgrade from the PS4 to the PS5 version is only uh, $10. Um, so, but anyway, I'm like, I don't know. I, I can't remember. I think I was talking to Mark, uh, our new writer at Pixels, about um, I regret my review of Tsushima a little bit. Okay. Um, I, th- I think now that the dust has settled on that game, I kind of just a bit like it was a beautiful world to walk around and explore. And I thought the story was kind of eh, and the combat was kind of OK, which I think in my review, that was the one thing I kind of really ripped it apart for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, removed from that game, I'm like, it, yeah, it was, it was fine. Like <laughs> at the time, I was definitely sucked in by the, the story and the locations and it's beautiful. but. It's just another open world game. Uh, I probably will sign up and, and check this out because it's a good chance for me to also get into the multiplayer mode, which I never played because uh, it wasn't out when I reviewed that game. But I don't know. The game was fine. I, I, I hear a lot of people talking about how amazing it is. And the more and more I think about it, like it ain't Breath of the Wild. It's a sure. nice looking game. that's just like every other open world game, um, in my opinion. But I'm glad that it did take off and put Sucker Punch, you know, into that prestige tier of developer again. Yeah, I, I don't know. I knew from the onset it wasn't a game for me, so I just never paid it too yeah. much heed. Yeah. yeah, and to be clear, I still stand by my review. Like, I think it was a great game in in many aspects. I think it really nailed a tone. Uh, just, you know, sometimes you, you get some distance from something and you're like, you know what? I haven't didn't, really thought about that game. Yeah. Ever it just again. didn't stick with you as much as you thought it might. Yeah. Like at the time I was like, this game is amazing. I'm really into it. And like, I was loving it. Like my review was genuine. I want to be very clear about that. But a lot of games that I really love, like six months later, I'm still thinking about them, you know, every now and then, not all the time, mm-hmm. unless you're eternal. Uh, I've never really thought about Tsushima ever outside of, Oh, the multiplayer dropped. I wish I could play that. Mm-hmm. You know, like it did not leave a lasting impression on me. Yep. Um, but yeah. Anyway, you had some, uh, you came across some interesting data that you wanted to reference here. Absolutely. So, um, I, I have said a couple of times over the past couple of years, um, and definitely on this podcast at some point that, you know, very small amounts of the games that are out there actually earn a majority of the money in the market is what I'm trying to say. Which is really great when you're two people who have a podcast who just started making their own game to remind yourselves of, right? <laughs> uh, so <laughs> Sorry. The, the, uh, no, that's, that's really funny because it's absolutely true. And the way I got this was it was retweeted by someone and their quote was, so why are we in this industry again? <laughs> anyway. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad we decided now was the time to finally make a game together. But anyway, you can't, you can't pretend you don't know these numbers. We've talked oh, about I these. Know. Num- yeah, it's just. I know, I know. But it's, you put that in the back of your mind. You don't want to think about it. You don't want to think about it. But not enough people do think about it. And this is something that has uh, been on the lips of indies for the past four years that I have seen it, which means that it's been on people's minds for at least that long again. because. To the, when it comes to the point where people go down and like dig and get actual numbers, that's the point at which it's become really frustrating for someone. Um, I've been around the bush enough. Uh, I want to preface this by saying that this isn't verified. This is one person digging into some stats and then posting it on Twitter. But this is in line with all the numbers that we've heard of before from Valve themselves and other people who have done this exact same thing across the years. So here we go. Uh, 
Every year, Steam breaks the record of how many games are released on its platform. Last year was no different. 9,279 games were released on Steam in 2020. That apparently translates to a release every 53 minutes. That's a stupid amount. Can you imagine if you wanted to keep up with this and just bought a game every 53 minutes, even if it was only a dollar, right? That would have yeah, cost you over $9,000 in 2020 alone. Alone. Just in 2020. 50% of games, all games, um, sold less than 640 units. I think that's like not just of the 2020 games, but like of all time. But I'm not sure. Um, 75% of all games sell less than 2,800. And here is the one that's like really, really fun. 5% of games make up 90% of all of the sales. That's the reality of all indie games out there. Uh, all games out there, I should say. Because then we get more depth into indie games. Indie games specifically, 6,376 games. So a good uh, two-thirds of what um, was released in 2020 were indie games. And of that, um, yeah, most of the numbers are about the same. The 50% mark is. Um, 640 units, 75% of indies sold less than 2480 units, um, less than the other uh, than all games. And yeah, 5% of games made um, 88% of all sales. It's um it's very rough out there to be an indie. Um, and yeah, th- this is raw data, right? What this doesn't take into account is um, in our field, we see this a lot. Uh, indie developers do not um, make allowances for marketing that's that's people want to make games people don't want to spend money marketing them and um the the market is saturated enough that if you do that you will get no visibility and when you get no visibility you won't sell like you 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 might strike it rich with the algorithm but that's yeah it's there's a lot of factors at play here but those are the raw numbers um and it really is we shovelware all over again, but even greater because it doesn't have any physical costs associated with producing CDs and stuff. You only have the $100 barrier of entry to get onto Steam as a developer. So I want to, I want to, this is, this maybe a little condescending, but I want to assign some homework to people listening. If there are people listening, I want you to go and find an indie game and drop it in our discord and let's spread some of that love. Find an indie game that you think we don't know about and uh, let's let's do that. I think that's kind of how we, as a community, as gamers, quote-unquote gamers, uh, can help these smaller things. Because, like, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I hear a bunch of games that I've never heard of and I, uh, more likely than not, will check them out if the discussion around them is interesting. But I think that is not the norm. Um, so... Let's, as a community, try and build a habit of finding cool, interesting games, even if we don't buy them. Just bring them to people's attention, add them to wish lists, all that sort of stuff. Super important. And uh, the most important thing is when Blue and I release our prototype, make sure that you add us to your wish list. Let's definitely <laughs> do that. Um, but yeah, it's it's a super scary market. I mean, also let's do keep in mind that of those nine thousand games, you know, four thousand of them are anime titty games. Um, that probably don't sell that many. And then some of them do like there, there is a lot of things that are not said here. Yep. About, As I said, know, raw numbers, right? A lot of, yeah, this is raw everything numbers, in the spectrum. And it's uh, most of yeah. it's not like most of this two hour, very refined tastes don't deserve to sell. Right. Um, and the, the problem is that people get into games and then they throw everything into it. And then it's this huge gamble where if it fails and they have no house and they have can't feed their family and please don't do that. Please don't yeah. do that. Make games sustainably. There is a way to do this. Yeah. That doesn't kill you. Um, yeah. That, that entire interview with Xavier <laughs> Nelson Jr. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't make the, um, don't make the all or nothing gamble. It's not worth it. Yeah, um, it's absolutely not worth it. Start small, take your time. Yep. And uh, I'm, I'm saying this here to remind both of us. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we're going to move on to a user question. This one comes from Rawase, as they so often do. 
Nothing too complicated this time. Do either of you have games you just love to exist in, even if there's no real point in continuing to tinker with that complete save file? For instance, I find myself drawn to just relax and move around in Gravity Rush despite having done everything. Uh, do you have an answer to this, Blue? Uh, yes or no. Um, the spirit of uh-huh. this question is a RPG-esque save file where you can get 100%. Uh, no, in that sense. I, I don't revisit those games. I don't tend to do that. Uh, I do have games that I boot up just to play. Um, mm-hmm. Like Killing Floor 2, TF2, back in the day, Firefall, if we yeah, go back then. Um, sometimes I will boot up um, roguelikes because I'm pretty much done with them, but I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll have a run. Um, and these aren't roguelikes that I have like completed. These are like, there's still stuff to do, but sometimes, you know, you're just done with the game. Um, the closest I would have to this would be like Bleed 2. There was a good like three extra hours that I had nothing else to do in the game, but I was just like playing runs. Um, I, I tend to be pretty goal oriented, which is why I don't gel well with sandbox. Um, mm-hmm. So yes and no. Yes, there are plenty of games where, that I'm done with that I haven't like completed. It's not a done game, and most of the time it cannot be a done game that I will play and be relatively mindless in. No, in the spirit of this, like I don't boot up a Final Fantasy that I have everything unlocked and just run around it. I don't do that. Yeah, my answer is no, never, ever. I, if I'm not progressing or it's not a competitive game, I'm not interested. Yep. I don't like just hanging around. That's why games like uh, Slime Rancher and stuff don't really interest me because it's just about tending and building a farm. Mm. Um, you know, like I need something to do. I need direction. And yeah, I don't enjoy. It's a, it's a weird thing. And I know it's a me thing, but if I'm not moving along a story uh, and, mm. and, and doing that whole thing, like I'm not, I'm wasting my time and I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's also like I very rarely 100% games because I don't really care about seeing everything a game has to offer me. Yep. I just want to get to the end of the designated endpoint so I can say, hey, I did the thing and it's done. Um, there are very few exceptions to that rule, but they're so few, like I could count them on one hand. Mm. Um, so, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> I, I will say like a, a small difference there is... Um, I have been growingly interested in playing do-nothing games um, if they're in a co-op setting. So like Viscera, mm-hmm. for example, I really enjoy in a co-op setting, whereas normally I mm-hmm. would find that completely dull. I, I wouldn't boot that up alone. It's not my style of game. Um, I consider yeah. Minecraft a pretty do-nothing game as well, right? And I would love to kind yeah. of just tinker with that in a like, co-op setting. I think that's kind of fun. Um, yeah. Yeah, whereas I hate that. Right. Like I, I just do not enjoy Minecraft. Like I will play it once or twice with friends. And then I'm like, okay, I'm done. Like I'm it's, not creative. It, it's interesting. What I want to do with Minecraft is I want to take people on a tour. Right. So I, I fully understand where you're coming from. What I would love yeah. nothing more to do than, than uh, to do in Minecraft is to like have a world ready where I can just invite people in and go, Hey, let's go look around and check out some cool things. Right. Like I'm very tempted to see if it's possible to, um, uh, RT Game is uh, bugging other creators now. is is a very big Irish YouTuber um, who started a very interesting um, project where um, they created a a scale. I don't know what scale it was, like replica of the Earth, right? And then mm-hmm. they cordoned mm-hmm. off sections for like uh, unlimited builds. Like in this section, you can just go in and you have full creative powers to build wherever you want. And uh, some people have done some really beautiful things in that, and some people have done some uh, like atrocious meme things in that. There's meat tunnels in like every build, I think. Um, and it's like kind of fun to just like fly around and like tour, like almost like a museum kind of thing. And I'd love to like set that up, you know? But yeah, it's about seeing something. It's about doing something. It's definitely not about just existing for me. Yeah. I mean, this, this question also like implies that y- you play video games to have fun. Anyway, we're going to talk about games <laughs> play. Uh-huh. <laughs> this week um which uh i don't know where to start with this um okay so uh i finished returnal yeah. returnal is done yeah. i got to the end of that yeah. that game is just absolutely stunning i love that game i think you know i'm not going to talk about it at a huge length uh i think the story is kind of weird and just 
it's weird for the sake of being weird and I kind of think I understand what they're going for, but it just didn't land for me super well. Uh, Leaves the door open for more Returnal, which I'm super keen for. Like it's one of those games, right, where I think if they had the budget to do a sequel, they would just absolutely nail that sequel because it's so close to where it is now. Mm -hmm. I understand all of the complaints that people have, but I also feel like people are being a little too harsh on it in some areas. Like this whole argument of whether it's a roguelike or not, like, does that matter? Like it's this thing that's super cool and it takes some swings. Um, There is a bit of an end game element to it and the challenge runs and stuff. I may try and do one or two of those, but as I just said earlier, I'm like just ready to move on when I get to the end of a game. Mm -hmm. And like the excitement is I finished a run. Like I don't care about finishing a run on ultra challenge, hard boss mode with one arm kind of situation. That's just not my thing. Um, But yeah, Returnal, highly recommend it. Put it on your wish list. Pick it up when it's on sale if you're hesitant. Um, But it's just, even just from a spectacle standpoint, and then also to just see, uh, as I think I mentioned last time, Housemark's entire gaming history wrapped up in one game. Like you can see DNA from everything they've ever made here. Mm -hmm. It's super exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, So now that I've done with Returnal, I've turned my focus to Resident Evil Village. Uh, I'm kind of digging that game. It's, It's cool. I don't think they've nailed combat just yet in the first person perspective, right? Yep. Like Resident Evil's combat's never been its huge, like its best feature, right? Uh, but this game definitely has a lot more shooting than the, than Resident Evil 7 in it. And it does feel just a little bit too floaty, especially on a controller. Mm-hmm. Um, but story-wise, I really dig this whole hub world. We're going to do like this almost anthology of of baddies that you can take on um i'm not going to spoil that story but yeah it's pretty cool i like it it's it's not my favorite resident evil but it's pretty decent it's pretty good um takes a swing it's not just the same game again right like which is nice yeah exactly like i'm very like if this is what this series becomes it's just these anthology collections or interesting turns down different uh you know ways to explore horror like i'm down for that i'm totally down for that and like yeah, this game's great. Like, it's fine. It's totally good. It's not utterly amazing like Resident Evil 7 was, where it just, like, completely changed what you thought a Resident Evil game could be. But it's it's a very good game. It's just a really good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still playing Griftlands. Griftlands is just delicious. Um, <laughs> don't need to say more about it, but great game. Uh, I still think it controls like shit on the Switch, but it's a good game. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I kind of not related, but kind of related to... Uh, the question earlier, I've actually started playing Final Fantasy XIV. Um, I downloaded it on PS5 because uh, it's got the free trial that takes you up until like one of the major content updates. Um, and I don't know, there's this whole thing with MMOs where I always love the idea of playing one and then I buy some time on one and then I get busy and I don't get my money's worth. Uh, so having this free trial that I know can carry me like for dozens of hours um and just not feeling guilty of well i only played it for half an hour here i'm really enjoying it as a way to de-stress from from work because Mm -hmm. as you know mmos is kind of mindless busy work but it fulfills that need for me to have progression just inherently because it's an mmo right 14 especially has Um, like a bit more focus on some some kind of story realm reborn i know is a bit lighter on that this is actually a super interesting one right because you're right realm reborn is completely free to play um, and a lot of people mm-hmm. have just kind of gone, that's a very weird choice because Realm Reborn is by far currently the weakest of its content, which yeah. like, it makes sense, right? They were the least skilled at this format when the base game came out, but there's no mm-hmm. other way to really do it. You can't really show off your good stuff without having people pay for it. Very, very interesting yeah, like it, dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I think I'm just going to keep picking at it. And if I do get to the end of that trial... And I've obviously played it enough that I'll I'll pick it up and keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, but the game I've been focusing on, because uh, I'm doing a video on it, is Overboard, uh, which I can't remember if I mentioned this earlier. Um, mm, I don't believe you. It's, it's a really cool game. I'm playing it on Switch. I think it's on PC as well. It's from our friends over at Inkle. Um, and right. it is a very short story game. Uh, basically, it takes place, it's like, 30s-ish era uh, on a boat trip between England and America. 
mm-hmm. and you play the role of uh, this very uh, like famous. I think she's an actress, um, and her husband's she's sassy on overboard. looking. Yeah, she's very sassy, right? Yeah. Um, the The twist is you threw him overboard. Uh, you got rid of your husband, and then you have to uh, survive the trip to the US uh, without being uh, caught. Ghosted. It's almost like uh, Noja meets um, meets Among Us, except you did do the murder, and you're trying. So basically, you done uh, did it. There's like a deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a whole deck and uh, of, of the ship, and you go to different rooms, and every time you go to a room, like hours pass. And yep. you have a certain number of hours until you reach America and you can like plant evidence and have conversations and throw accusation and just collect all this information. And then when you get to America, someone else, there's either an explanation for what happened to your husband and you get to go off free or you are caught and locked up. And then uh, every time that something happens, like you get to the end of a run, I guess we'll call it a run for this purpose. Uh, the game restarts. And you uh, go again, but you have the previous knowledge. And then the choices that you made along the way uh, are actually highlighted in green. So it's very easy to remember, okay, I did that last time. Or I've already seen what happens down that path, Um, which is really interesting and super cool. And it creates this kind of interesting space where there are are moments in the game where you can waste time. Like, for instance, my most recent run, uh, you start the game in in your bedroom and uh, no one knows that your husband's missing yet. Uh, and you can choose to just sleep. So I slept for half the trip, uh, mm-hmm. which was interesting because I missed certain events and I only had to deal with a couple of others. And that definitely changed my outcome. And then each time that you have a successful uh, completion, uh, you you get like a little objective that you're trying to strive towards for your next run. So it's, it's really cool. Um, the production values are a little iffy. Uh, for instance, there's this, this is a real pet peeve of mine when the text on screen does not match the voiceover mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really annoys me. It shits me to tears and I don't know why. Uh, so basically like there's this um, amazing uh, voice actress uh, who, who voices your character, uh, but she only does it for the intro of the game when you're like throw the husband overboard. And it's always the same set of lines every time. But then when you restart the round, it's actually giving you a different story in text a little bit. Like uh, the voice line will be talking about how you saw dolphins, but then the text on the screen is like, he's always playing cards and yada, yada, yada. And they don't match up. And it just annoys me. Um, But that's the only voice acting in the entire game. Um, It's a small experience. So it's probably a budget constraint or it's, you know, COVID is also a thing too. Like this is a very small game. Like a complete run takes you about 20 minutes. Right. Um, yeah, but it's small budgetary constraints. Yeah. However, COVID might cause you to think that dolphins are someone sitting at a table playing cards. True, true, exactly. Um, <laughs> so yeah, like uh, yeah, budget constraints. You know, studio working remote, all that sort of thing. Um, but it's a really cool game. I don't think it's going to be for everyone. I love story. I love the whole idea of you know a, a narrative based kind of murder mystery where you're the murderer. Like super cool. Uh, and it's one of those games where I'm like, oh, I've got half an hour. I'm just going to quickly do a run and see what else I can learn about this. So, uh, yeah, uh, Overboard. Definitely, I think if you like Inkle's other stuff, like 80 Days, it's definitely closer to 80 Days than it is Pendragon. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, Inkle, Inkle has a style. You kind of know the types of yeah. games they like to make and the stories they like to tell. And if that's up your alley, then I think you should definitely check out Overboard. What are, what are you playing, Blue? Talk to me. Um... So I'll start backwards because most of this week, all my free time, I've just kind of been sitting watching GDQ. Um, mm-hmm. So not very much this week. But if we go back to like end of last week and over the weekend, um, played, you know, I, I still play a bit of Killing Floor 2 here and there, trying to take advantage of the fact that I'm um, getting a bit more experience at this point, get some of my um, remaining perks up to 25, which is the max in the game. That would be fun. Uh, trying to get some games of Strive in here and there. It's still just an amazing game. Um, I go through periods of not playing enough fighting games, and then I get, like, withdrawal. Not withdrawal, but like withdrawal symptoms, you know, where I just go, I want to hit buttons, and there's only a very specific um, feeling I want out of that fighting game. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I checked out a game called uh, Unrailed. I managed to convince a couple of friends to get their hands on it. Uh, and it is a... Have you heard of this game? It's... Um, cooperative 
you build the tracks for a train as a train is moving kind of thing. Yeah, it's Australian made, right? Possibly. I don't remember. I'm pretty um, sure it is. I've, I've played really this at a convention somewhere. Sure, sure, sure. That makes sense. Uh, it's really fun. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, especially funny was our first <laughs> attempt at a game because I, like, we got everyone to install it. And then we log in and we're like, oh, this game doesn't have online. Oh, that's a shame. But we can remote play, so we remote play in. And through the through the annoying mess of trying to get remote play working, because two of them only had uh, keyboards, so they were good, both going to share a keyboard. And then they realized that, hey, we're mm-hmm. not actually like splitting a keyboard. We are like, sharing a keyboard. So they could just push buttons on the other side for the other person. Oh, that's awesome. Um. And then we got through the tutorial like after like 30 minutes because of like trying to get controllers to sync up and all that. And then we realized that, oh, you do have online play. You just have to get through the tutorial first. But by that point, we were oh, very God. committed. By that point, we were committed. We we're like, are we just going to play? Yeah, of course, we're going to play it remote play for this session. That doesn't make any sense yeah, to yeah, use yeah. the online at this point. So we played remote play. And it was really, really chaotic because they would just fuck with each other all the time i wasn't involved in this because i just had a controller that was like doing things but one of them Mm -hmm. would just start like yeah dashing into walls and stuff (laughs) it's really really funny um love it kind of a neat like it's a it's a fun like roguelike ish just run based um multiplayer co-op thing um Mm -hmm. and it's good fun yeah it's the kind of game that uh, hot rice would enjoy i think um, oh yeah nice w- which nice. i have told him and um, tempted him into i just want to confirm that they are they are from uh sweden by the looks of it ah you almost so, uh slandered them yeah i know i know i'm sorry we're, we're so sorry for insinuating um, that the swedes were australian yeah uh, <laughs> um that all sounds good good times yeah. good times Okay, so to wrap things up, uh, we do have a couple of things. Uh, so uh, Rowan has released a new Ludo Ludo Dissonance article about Evil Zone, a game that I've never, ever heard of that apparently is very, very important. Um, it was also mm. the longest article that we've ever put on the site, and it actually crashed the website database because it has so many images. Um, but it's up now and it works, so please go check that out and share it out if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. Uh, we, need, we need to crash the website uh, another way where people access it too many times too quickly and yeah exactly that's, that's the next way we exactly. need to crash the and then, website and then profit um, somehow we we have this podcast that you're listening to right now uh, We I'm working on this overboard video very slowly I'm also still working on the Hotline Miami I've been uh, updating this over on Patreon every week uh, so if you back us for a dollar or more you get more insight into that but the the short uh, non-paywall version is basically I've had a little bit of headway in terms of uh, someone at Devolver and and one of the musicians, but trying to get a hold of the two creators is kind of proving to be uh, a lot harder than anticipated. Uh, so I'm going down a different road now where I'm going to start writing the piece without them and pull information from other interviews and things that they've done over the years, plus some of the interviews that I've done with them uh, when the first game came out and kind of just put together the retrospective anyway. And then when I have something that's fairly complete, I'm going to be like, hey, I'm putting this together. It would be way cooler if I could get you for an interview now um, to add to this. But if not, then I still have a central piece that may not have been what we initially set out to do, but it's still going to be in the spirit of what we wanted to do. Um, so if you want to follow along with that, do consider checking us out on Patreon. Also, yeah, Blue and I are working on a little prototype uh, together. So that's mm. taking up a lot of my other time um, right now. Not not ready to tell you what it is yet, but uh, pretty excited about where it's going. And if I say it on the podcast, that means other people have to hold me to account. Um, so, yeah, uh, Blue, anything you would like to add before we uh, say goodbye? Uh, third time's the charm. Check out. Like by the time this comes out, there won't be much left of GDQ. And if you're listening to this past the week, um, go check out some like VODs and stuff. If you're not familiar with speedrunning, one of the reasons why I really like the scene is because it's just a group of people who are passionate about video games um, or playing video games together. And then they decided, hey, maybe we can run a charity off of it. 
like even if you don't care about the charity uh how do i put this do you miss being just happy about things in your life like if that is one of the cases maybe one of the things you might look into is a games community because games are a beautiful thing where when a community forms around it it tends to be because everyone just loves something together so keep that in mind um the commentators at gdq tend to be a pretty high quality pick a big ish game and uh yeah check it out um if you want some happiness in your life hopefully well there you go 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 get some happiness into your life and as always don't forget to pixelate your breakfast Pixel over breakfast